In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. Welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. In this particular episode of Theology Applied, I'm privileged to welcome back to the show A.D. Robles. In this episode, we discuss three primary characteristics of local churches that will endure the coming persecution to America. In 50 years from now, if America still exists, if God is so merciful, there's three different characteristics that will cause churches to be able to survive the coming persecution to our nation. Many churches have closed their doors. Many more, sadly, will close their doors in the coming decades. But I guarantee you that there are three characteristics that will make the difference. What are those three characteristics? Tune into this episode to find out. Real quick, before we get started, if you haven't already, check out my book, Fight by Flight. The subtitle is, Why Leaving Godless Places is Loving Godless Places. This book has been forwarded by Doug Wilson. It's been endorsed by Steve Dace, Meg Basham, Michael Foster, and others. You can check it out at Amazon.com, or you can purchase it at RightResponseMinistries.com. Now, let's go ahead and hop into the episode, but real quick, a brief word from our sponsors. There are very few things as important as fellowship. Taking the time to spread the gospel is our duty as Christians, but sharing the word over a warm cup of Squirrely Joe's coffee, now that is our passion. Like the caffeine coursing through their veins, Squirrely Joe's is energized by their calling and emboldened to model their relentless faith. Based in Olney, Illinois, their association with the endangered white squirrel isn't just a novelty. It's a reminder that His Majesty can appear in the most unexpected places, in a humble squirrel, through a chance conversation, and even in a simple cup of joe. Share coffee, serve humbly, live faithfully. Squirrely Joe's is owned and operated by Joe Morris, his wife Rachel, and their seven children. They believe in being a truly Christian business where Christ is in the DNA of the business. Joe also believes in living Coram Deo, that means before the face of God, in every aspect of life. Joe is also a pastor of a small Reformed church, and both Joe and Rachel are veterans of the U.S. Marine Corps and U.S. Army, respectively. They believe that Christians should be building a thoroughly Christian economy by doing business with other like-minded Christians. The coffee is also fantastic. So, don't delay. Visit squirrelyjoes.com to order your coffee today. Again, that's squirrelyjoes.com to order your coffee today. Enter promo code RRM at checkout for 20% off your purchase. With the banking industry in another tailspin and the Fed ready to raise interest rates once again, many of you are probably asking, when does this madness stop? If you're interested in learning how to establish a family banking system outside of today's mainstream banking insanity, then schedule a call with our sponsors at Private Family Banking. There's a way for individuals, families, and businesses to put their hard-earned money to work continuously accruing compounding interest and then have those resources available as collateral for cash or for financing investments, businesses, college, and other major life expenditures without having to go to the big banks for loans. Income tax protected, safety from stock market losses, guaranteed rates of compounding interest, and the ability to store up an inheritance for your children's children and avoid the death tax on your estate. If this interests you, then email our friends at banking at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's banking at privatefamilybanking.com. Schedule your appointment today. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. 
This is Theology Applied. Welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. And in this particular episode, I am privileged to welcome back to the show a regular guest um, that we have on Right Response Ministries, A.D. Robles. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for inviting it's me going. again. You're welcome. Tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, just in case they don't know who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I got a YouTube channel. Uh, I got a podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. You can find me if just by typing in my name on both A.D. Robles, R-O-B-L-E-S, I'm also pretty active on Twitter. If you don't like fighting, you know, you probably won't want to follow me on Twitter. But if you like seeing uplifting stuff, uh, I'm also on Gab. I'll post pictures of my you know, kids playing Little League or my, my chickens or uh, fishing pictures. So if you like that kind of stuff, you know, just like normal, regular life, I'm on Gab as well. Cool. Yeah, I think you posted something today, the day that we're recording this, <laughs> that said like Twitter. Yeah, I go to Twitter to fight. I go to Gab yeah. to relax. <laughs> so. Twitter's really good for fighting. It, it, it is. I mean, it, it just, really is. The, the way the algorithm works, it, you know, it's it's very difficult to sort of uh, block out anything, like all the things you don't want to see on Twitter. On Gab, it's really easy. So like a lot of people say Gab, you know, is f- full of haters. And there's definitely a, a lot of aggression on Gab, no question. But it's very easy to curate it. So what I've done at Gab is just anyone who's got any kind of like hardcore negativity, I just I just block them, I just mute them, whatever. And I've curated this list. If you look at my Gab, if you were on my side of it, it's just like pictures of people's farms and you know, fishing pictures and stuff like that. It just, it's a very, very pleasant place. Nice. <laughs> cool. Well, so what I was thinking for this episode is um, kind of a prediction episode. Uh, what will the church look like in the future? And more particularly, like what type of church, what kind of churches are going to make it? You know, the in uh, what is it? N G NGMI not going to make it. I'm like sitting. I like that one. That's a good one. Yeah, not going to make it. And so, like, what kind of church? You know, kind of maybe a white white pill spin on it. What kind of church is going to make it? And I've thought of three things that I think that we could just kind of go back and forth and discuss. the type of church that I think, you know, is going to make it like, I'd, I'd love to say, you know, like I'd love to do on this episode, say, well, there's seven things like being confessionally reformed and being covenantal <laughs> sure. in your theonomy and presuppositional and patriarchal and, you know, Kuyperian and, and that would the, be nice theonomic. and neat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like this, so that, I mean, that's, you know, if I'm hosting a conference, which I am March 1st, 2nd and 3rd, Doug Wilson is coming <laughs> we got Foster coming. And so like, I'm, I'm going to focus on those things because I think that's the right path. Um, but, you know, in the spirit of a big tent ecumenical spirit, you know, I think that like, okay, if we can boil things down to the common denominator, I think there are three primary characteristics that pop into my mind of the type of church that, uh, that I think would still be around in 50 years. So if I, you know, I don't, I'll think about the title for this episode, but it'll probably be something along the lines of, you know, um, the, the type of church that will survive the next 50 years in America. Um, so anyway, yeah. so I'll, I, I won't list them all up front. I'll just start with one and then throw it to you. But, uh, one thing that I think is, uh, churches that, um, engage the culture engage society, engage the world around them. They're not pietistic. Um, so they're engaging the world, uh, but also they have a certain optimism. They think that they can win. And I don't mean by that, that they're, uh, that they have optimistic eschatology, like post-millennialism. Again, that would be like one of, you know, if, if I, if that's, you know, that's my path, I'm going to try to get guys to be post-millennial because I think it's true, but I'm not saying that you have to be post-millennial. I'm thinking of like, you know, um, there were certain things that were wrong with this movement, but like the Joshua generation, you know, in, in a few decades past, um, you know, there was a lot of good things that came out of that. And and for the most part, a lot of these guys, they, they weren't Calvinists. They were Arminian, you know, kind of Arminian decisionism, Baptist with the dispensational, premillennial ingrained, you know, eschatology. Um, that, that's just the air that they were breathing. And yet they were raising their kids, homeschooling their kids, raising them uh, to know the Lord and not just to retreat, but to actually run for political office and to try to change the fabric of society with a mindset that uh, not that Jesus is going to come back in 20, 30, 40,000 years, uh, but that Jesus might come back in 50 years. But they were thinking, okay, but 50 years, my kids have to have to live uh, during these next 50 years, and I'm going to have grandkids in these next 50 sure. years. So I'd like these next 50 years to be good. And, and so anyway, so that, you know, I think like even the dispensational, so I'm not making it eschatological. I'm saying 
even from a dispensational pre-mill standpoint, which I would sharply disagree with, uh, just like post-mill, we're saying, okay, the trajectory overall is up, but there are dips along the way. I think we're in a dip right now. Well, you could be pre-mill dispy and say the overall trajectory is down, but there are some spikes along the way. So why wouldn't you, because we know in the last 2000 years, uh, even if you're dispensational pre-millennial, you can't argue with history that in the last 2000 years, we've had some good moments. We've had some spikes where things actually improve. So, so there's no biblical argument to say that that couldn't happen here and that it couldn't happen now. Um, so no matter where you're at eschatologically, um, I think that every Christian should believe uh, that, that uh, we might be able to win a battle or two and, and winning a battle or two could make a world of difference for our children and, and what kind of life, the quality of life that they're going to have. And so I think, you know, so I'm not saying every church is going to be post-millennial, but I think over the next 50 years, churches that engage the culture, society, politics and engage it with an attitude that 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 engagement matters and that it's not just beating at the wind it could actually make a difference i think that kind of church will last i think any church that's pietistic that doesn't really engage the culture or thinks that there's not even spikes along a downward trajectory that there's no victory not even for 10 years or a decade i think those churches are going to go the way of the dinosaur what do you think you know i think i think um if you think of the next 50 years, you know, and if you if you think like I do about sort of the economy and stuff like that, you're not, you know, you're not doom and gloom necessarily. But I think a, most people kind of agree that the, the standard of living that we've enjoyed for a very long time is kind of steadily decreasing. And so over 50 years, um, that might go down even further, you know, and so that doesn't mean we're all going to be, you know, starving to death, you know, or something like that. But it's just like, even even today, like I don't know how it is around you in Texas, but like when I go to the store today, it's it's a lot different than when I used to go to the store five years ago. It's like five years ago, nothing was ever out of stock. These days, certain things are out of stock from time to time, and it's that's not a big deal. I don't want to like seem like I'm complaining. It we still have an abundance, we still have everything we need, but it's just different. And I think you know th- it's more similar to what you see in other countries, you know, where they don't have as quite the standard of living that we do in the United States, or at least that we've had. So as the standard of living goes down, I think people, you know, you like, they, they do tend to like sort of uh, cling to spiritual things a lot more joyfully. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Like if you've been on like a, a, a mission trip to a poor area, whether it's in the United States or outside the United States, like the churches are just a lot more optimistic, I think, than, right. than, than some of the churches that I grew up in in Connecticut. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know if that's just because they're charismatic or maybe it's maybe that's part of it. But I don't know. I feel like people like like they 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 need a, a an outlet for positivity when things aren't quite going as well as they, they want them to be. Right. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just kind of a natural thing where like, you know, life's a little tougher. So, you know, you you kind of you lean on the church for more of your joy. You know, you get together with people, you hang out, you do these things that maybe you wouldn't do if things were better for you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Things were going really well. I don't know if that's really real, but to me, I've noticed that when I gone into poor areas, the churches in poor areas, church is a little different. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, that's more positive, but a lot of that does come from what you just put your finger on the communal aspect. It seems like the communal aspect. That's it. Right. That's That's actually exactly what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Because I think we, you know, part of it is like when you have so much stuff, you're more content to be alone. So it's just like, yeah. I'm just going to spend uh, a quiet evening. You know, like like a lot of Americans, when they think of like, you know, even on, on Twitter or social media, like describe, you know, the perfect evening. A lot of people like the description that they would, um, that they would, you know, put forward for the, you know, an evening that they would enjoy would be an evening alone or, or maybe an evening just with their spouse. It would be, you know, I, glass. I know I'm like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, it would be a book or a glass of wine or watching a sunset or in a hot tub or but like none of them one one common denominator is that there it's not this big communal kind of thing whereas like you think of southern slavery, you know, in America and like part of the reason why like the black church would have still even historically to this day, you know, the overturn uh, tones of this continuing like traditionally really long services, you know, like five hour long church services where it's just singing and singing and singing and singing and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching without getting into any of the theology. Like part of that does come over from like, all right, if, if life is hard six days a week, 
And then on the Lord's day, it's like, this is a moment of yeah. reprieve and we don't want it to end, but they spent it together. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, hey, we just, you would think like, you know, I'm, I'm physically exhausted. I'm just going to stay home and sleep all day. But that wasn't the mindset at all. It was like, I don't want to waste a, a minute of daylight. I'm going to get with the saints, get with my brothers, get with my, yeah. my sisters. And we're going to spend, we're going to have some good old timey church and it's going to be all day long. And so, so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's a matter, like you said, it's not really a matter of eschatology because I think of a lot of the people I'm thinking of, you know, and my grandparents, for example, are one of them. You know, I used to go to their house in the Bronx, you know, and, and compared to people in the Bronx, they were pretty well off compared to like some people in the Bronx. But, you know, like th their eschatology, like they, they didn't share what, I, what you and I believe about eschatology. They thought, they thought that the world was going to hell in a handbasket, you know, but mm -hmm. they didn't really act that way. You know what I mean? They, they had a family, they, they, their, fam their kids had a lot of kids and they, they were playing for the future. They were setting money aside. They were doing this. They were doing that. They, were, they were, had an expectation of, you know, we, you know, we, we need, we've got to make moves here. You know what I mean? Even though their theology was not that way, it was sort of like, you know, crisis coming tomorrow, probably. And I think I've heard my grandmother even say that many times. Um, it really wasn't like that. It's just, th they were making moves in their own way. And it, and they, they felt like, you know, like Christ was on their side and they could do what they needed to do. And they had confidence in the future. They had faith in the future. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very interesting dynamic because you're right. It it really doesn't have a lot to do with their formal eschatology. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, now, think, I think I think you're right yeah. about that. You know, going into the future, the next fifty years, people are going to be looking for that a bit more because there's a lot yep. of blackfield people out there, Joel. I don't know if you've noticed. There are, there are. A lot of them are <laughs> Christians, sadly, or at least professing <laughs> Christians. But yeah, so I I think post millennial eschatology is on on the up and up. I think there's a resurgence. So yeah. I think we are going to find oh, more yeah. post millennial churches, and I'm excited about that because I think it's biblically true, not just because it's fun, not just because I think it appeals to young men, which I do think it appeals to young men. There are all the pragmatic reasons and all you know all, the, but ultimately I think that it's true to the scripture. I think it's what the scripture teaches, and so I want to see that become a more dominant you know eschatology, and I think that's going to happen. But my point is, I think if I'm getting down to the common, you know, uh, the lowest common denominator, I think it's uh, simply going to be people who uh, believe um, it's going to be not so much anti-premillennialism. Um, I, th I, I, I think it's going to be anti-pietism. It's going to be anti-retreatism. And um, yeah. it's going to be people who um, are engaging the world. They think that the church actually has um, potential to change the world, even if they think that's only going to be uh, temporary, even if, even if yeah. they think Jesus is going to come back in 20 years, but, um, uh, but we can, uh, we could make the next five years better and five years, uh, a five-year improvement matters. It matters for me, for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren, and it's worth fighting for. So I think that's like, that's one of the things that Honestly, you can kind of get a, you know, I'm thinking 50 years, you know, but you can get a really good five-year gauge of what the church is going to be like by just looking at um, kind of like the the pink pill, you know, conservative world outside of the church. Because that's, you know, that's, I mean, the church is just, it's, it's embarrassing how behind, like right now, I think the church is more woke than the world. And it's because the church is always like five to seven years behind. So, so the like there are guys like like establishment regime big Eva guys who are literally like they're more woke than the average person that you meet at the grocery store and it's and it's not because that person at the grocery store wasn't that woke they just they were that woke in 2020 and they're just up with the times you know but JD Greer still hasn't <laughs> got the memo you know what I mean like it's it's isn't that embarrassing like uh, yeah <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true it's it's like so it's so true so my point is like i think like the church is going to come out of wokeness and and this is so sad to say like but why, why am i confident the church is going to come out of wokeness well first because i think jesus is lord and and uh, he's the head of the church and he's not going to abandon us but secondly i think the church is going to come out of wokeness in approximately five years because uh the culture as a whole is coming out of wokeness and the church usually follows the culture five years behind so <laughs> Crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. <clears throat> All right. So anyways, um, okay. So the second one that I was thinking is law and gospel. So the first one is engaging the world, not being pietistic. 
and being hopeful, you could still think overall the trajectory is down in terms of your eschatology, but thinking that we could make a difference now and that difference matters. Um, so even if it's only going to be better for 10 years or 20 or 50. Um, so I think that's number one. Number two, I think is uh, churches that don't just preach the gospel, but also preach uh, the law. So wh why don't you talk to us a little bit, because you've had experience with this. You were at Tim Keller's church for a while, you know, may you rest in peace. I think Tim Keller, for the record, I, I think you would agree with this. I think he's with the Lord right now. I think that he was regenerate. I think that uh, like first Corinthians chapter three, verses eight through 11, you know, like I think not everything Keller did, but a good bit was wood, hay and stubble, especially towards the end of his ministry was burned up. He suffered much loss, but he himself is saved. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, and so I think Tim Keller is with the Lord. Uh, but I think Tim Keller had probably had some regrets. Right now, I think he's in eternal bliss. But I think when he first, you know, saw the Lord, um, there was some some apologies that were taking place for uh, some of his latter ministry. But all that being said, so I'm not trying to pick on him because I know he just recently died. But my my point is, Tim Keller is kind of the the pinnacle, the epitome of a, what I would call not gospel centrality, but gospel myopticism, gospel onlyism. Can you talk about problems with that? Pre preaching the law. Here's the thing. I think that, especially men, there, there's a need for like a like a practicality to the faith as well. So so it, so listen. You know, a simple faith. You know, that's a beautiful thing. You know, and you trust in the Lord for your salvation. That's a beautiful thing. You know, and it's part of the commission. You know, we're baptizing uh, the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's like obviously we we've got to focus on on converting people uh, to the faith. That's, that's for sure. Um, but I think men, especially like there's a, I think people get, men get frustrated when it's like, you know, you ask questions. Cause I remember I used to ask this question. So like, okay, now what, what do I do? You know right. what I mean? Like, and, and basically the answer that I would get is like, well, you just come to church on Sunday and you sing these songs and, you know, and, you know, maybe we'll talk about our struggles with sin and that's about it. But there's that's not about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the commission itself, uh, a, a whole half of it is about teaching them to observe everything that I command. And so um, I think that that what you're what you're kind of referring to here is that the churches that'll survive are actually going to be teaching, are going to be doing the second part of that commission. Now, right. the question that I have is, are they doing it for good or for ill? Like, are they teaching the right way or the wrong way? Right? right? Are they are they teaching you? But but I guess your your point is to survive one way or the other, whether it's a solid church or not a solid church, they're going to have to be doing that. You know, they're going to have to, it's not going to be enough to have the sentimentality uh, to survive in the next 50 years. Right. I think that's kind of what you're driving at, right? Yep. And I, and I think part of Obviously, that- Obviously, I prefer they teach correctly. Right. <laughs> but I think part of that is what you just said in terms of like men needing to have, you know, be practically told what to do. I think yeah. a lot of that uh, was we were able to assume in like, you know, a neutral world where there wasn't quite as much opposition sure. and with a better economy where it was just, it was easier to provide for a family, easier to get a job, uh, more people, you know, just, it was just what you did. You got married, you know, typically in your twenties, you had a few kids, you bought a home, but now like those things aren't givens anymore. Like now it's like really hard to find a woman um, that you trust enough not to ruin your life. That's why like you have the whole red pill manosphere, you know, on the secular side of things that is totally not Christian. And like their advice, sure. they're, they're giving law, they're giving practical, you know, uh, steps for men. And, and those steps are get a vasectomy in your twenties. Don't ever get married. And, and I get it. I mean, it's, it's totally, it, it's not red pill, it's black pill. Like they're, you know, they're totally wrong, but I get the sentiment because what they're thinking is, um, if you marry a woman, you've just given her a loaded gun. Um, you, you've just like, you have just, uh, given someone the, the authority and the power and the ability to completely, uh, destroy your life. And statistically speaking, uh, it's more likely that she'll do it than that she won't right now. You know? Sure. So I think yeah. my point is in the world that we now live in, because Christendom has been, you know, leaving the port and going out to sea, because of our rebellion and our apostasy, uh, because of those things, and, and because God will not be mocked and a man reaps what he sows, and we're living in a worse world because of it, um, there are a lot more men who need direction than they used to. And they don't just need like man up. They need to be told how to be a man. What, you know, practically, what does that mean Monday through Saturday? How do I get married? How, how do I discern whether or not this, this woman's going to 
marry me and then take half of my stuff, you know, and, and leave, sure. you know, so anyway, so I just think, yeah, I think that, um, uh, trust Jesus. He died for your sin. Um, will, will not be enough churches that only, you know, Keller always preached the first use of the law. So here's the law of God and here's how it functions as a mirror that, that reflects to you, your fallenness, your, your shortcomings, your sin. And then here's the gospel. Here's Jesus and how he did all those things, that, the very things that you just failed to do. Um, and all that was true, you know, and then he's like, here's Jesus. And this is how Jesus fulfilled those things perfectly on your behalf. So trust in Jesus. That's a, a yeah. almost a great sermon. I wouldn't say that's wrong at all. I would just say it's incomplete. Then what we're what right. I think we're going to see over the next fifty years is churches that then add to that uh, the third use of the law that says, "So here's the law. This is how you failed. This is why you need Jesus. Here's Jesus. This is how he fulfilled these things in your place. Not just substitutionary death, but substitutionary life. Now let's go back to the law in its third use as a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, something we delight in that shows us the way not to." The way to salvation, but the way from salvation to further sanctification um, that shows us uh, not just that we're sinners and we need Jesus, but now that we have Jesus and we're responding in gratitude for the free gospel of grace, it shows us how to live. You know, I think that's going to become, I, I think that especially young men will not tolerate um, a Tim Keller type church uh, 10 years yeah. from now, 20 years from yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing and the thing about this is that you know up until now, like the, guys like Tim Keller have been very good at um, at kind of like not disguising what they're saying, but but making it sound good. Because like if you told the person like you know yeah you know I'm never gonna t I'm never really gonna tell you practically what to do like that's not important. People would see right through that, right? So they'll they'll say things like. Well, you never actually move on from the gospel. You always need the gospel. You need to preach right. the gospel to yourself every single day. And um, you need to, every, every single passage, it's just really about the gospel and you need to think about that. And it's like, well, that sounds like, like to some people, especially to new believers, that sounds okay. That sounds pretty good. I guess that makes a lot of sense, you know, because I'm always going to be, you know, fighting against my sin and I still do struggle with my sin. So I guess I do need to just focus on the gospel every single day. And the thing is, though, that like, I think you're right, like, when 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 times are somewhat normal, you know, somewhat, you know, you can kind of assume a certain set of morality. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, you know, which was not that long ago. I'm not that old yet, Joel, you know, but but when I was growing up, it's like everyone kind of knew that like homosexuality was a deviant lifestyle, even if they didn't think it was a sin. They didn't think it was, you know, anything really wrong with it. It was something that you want did not want to do. You didn't want to do that. It was deviant, right. you know, even even degenerates didn't want to degenerate that much you know right. what i mean so in the 1960s we knew that even a, a dude a man having long hair was degenerate like that's why a guy would that, grow that's out such his a hair good point was <laughs> and to that's be such rebellious. A, a, exactly a hundred percent so i guess so i guess my point is like when everyone's kind of a, working with the same assumptions you don't like you can kind of get away with some of that stuff but you're right like these these days you know especially men are struggling with like lots of basic basic stuff and they're turning to YouTube to basically guide them, and and that's that's a YouTube is is not necessarily. I like YouTube. Don't get me wrong. I, it, there's a lot of cool stuff on YouTube, but there's a lot of garbage on YouTube. Garbage. And I don't know, man. I, have you noticed, Joel? Some of these like manosphere types. I don't even know if they technically would still call themselves manosphere types, but they that's how they kind of came up. Um, lately, have been talking about how good some of these trannies look. I don't know if you've noticed that there's a few guys no, that have, have been not doing noticed that. And that. I'm like, I, I, I don't even, I kind of just stay away. And I probably should, Michael yeah. Foster has been talking to me and saying, Joel, you should probably, so do you know who Rolo, I think Tomasi is his name. Do you know who that is? I've heard of him. I, I don't really know anything. So about he, him, no. he just, I, I, we'll see by the time this comes out, I'm going to, I'm recording, I'm going on his show this Friday. He invited me to come on his show. So I really don't have any idea what I'm getting into because I like, <laughs> I don't know that the whole the whole secular manosphere. I've heard from like Foster has told me a few things. Brian Sauvey, <laughs> you're telling me some things right now. So I feel like I'm getting a little bit of prep. But I've just like Andrew Tate. Like I've never listened to a single thing from Andrew Tate. You know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I know I know his name. I you know. So no, I do not. I saw a few I things know. of recently, and I I I I put on my muted words on Twitter. I don't want to see any more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. point is the point is though that that. Uh, if we're talking about churches that are going to survive, it's going to be churches that have answers to some of these questions. Right. And again, hopefully they're good answers. Hopefully it's like, 
it's more than just you got to man up, you know, you got to be a man. Like that's 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 nothing. That's not that's not anything. Um, but uh, because otherwise they're going to find these answers somewhere else. And there's a lot of very bad answers out there for a lot of these yep. basic questions. Yep, I completely agree. Yeah, man up. I think you know that that phrase, man up, like it came from somewhere. And when it first you know originated, it probably made sense because what, yeah. was, what was being said, you were talking to some effeminate, you know. And it was probably, you know, something a father would say, you know, to um, a, a son, you know, who's maybe he's sure. 11, 12 years old. But, and, and I don't think that's wrong um, because he's telling him, do, when he says man up, he's saying, for one, um, the boy knows what a man is, right? Sure. We are, we're currently live in a culture that can't define what a woman is, you know, or, or a man, you know. And so, um, but that was at a time when people were saying man up, you know, once upon a time, um, it, you know, you could assume that somebody actually knew what a man was. And so what you were saying is, um, uh, you were basically saying, obey the law of God, um, for you, as it pertains to you, a man, you're right now, you're sinning, you're being effeminate, you're being uh, cowardly, you're being lazy or wh whatever it is, you're being rebellious or disrespectful or, um, uh, whatever it is, or you're, you're not, um, uh, you're not being chivalrous and, and, uh, and you need to be a man, uh, son, you need yeah. to, you need to man up. Well, now when you say man up, um it's like what is that what is it so that so guys who just say man up but don't teach you what it is to be a man that won't work and then guys who say well jesus was the perfect man in your place so you don't have to be one <laughs> that gospel centered yeah. preaching that dog won't hunt either you know so yeah 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 and, and the thing is like you know obviously like most people aren't like totally brain dead and they understand that you know men have you know male parts and you know things like that but but you're right. There is basic confusion about what's a man supposed to be doing. Like what 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 is when a man and a woman uh, get together and they form a family. Like how do they divide up that labor? What's supposed to happen? Like what's the what's you know like that stuff. I mean people people are totally confused about that stuff. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people, a lot of guys, still have it in their gut. To, they they know they're supposed to be the provider, but like they've been propagandized so much that they think it's almost like it's like sexist to even like try to assert that or to you know to 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 push that too hard. You're totally right. Like I like I, I think like the I don't know what a woman is kind of stuff. Yeah, there's some wackos out there that pretend like they don't actually know. They do know, but but there's a lot of confusion about what we're supposed to be doing. What men right. are supposed to be doing, what women are supposed to be doing, what they're not supposed to be doing. Right. Yep, I agree. So I think, you know, law and gospel, like we can, it's it's never anything less than the gospel, but that's, you know, that's been my hobby horse for a few years now is just saying, okay, like if we really want to be gospel-centered, um, well, a gospel-centered sermon is not uh, law and gospel, amen, let's go home. It, like quite <laughs> literally right. for it to be gospel-centered, it's law, gospel, law. Like the gospel that's is right. in the center. Right? And That's right. Like so the, the gospel is flanked on not just the front end, but the front and the back on both sides, right? It's like an Oreo cookie. You got you know, you got two little chocolate law pieces, you know, and then you got that white creamy gospel in the center. And so yeah. and, and that's that is like that's the way the Bible works. It's here's the law of God. Um, and, and it, in its first use, it's like, oh my goodness, that's, that's God, God's a thrice holy God. That's his perfect standard. And, uh, and I, I have not lived up to that. Oh my goodness. Um, woe am I, you know, like I'm a sinful man, depart from me. And then it's like, you know, gospel, right? It's white pill. Here's Jesus. He actually, all those things he did for you. Right. But then the immediate response is, well, if, you know, first John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. Well, if he loved me freely like that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me in the midst of my sin, he loved me. He paid the price. Well then man, I can't help but love him back. And, and I want to show him my love. So Jesus, um, I love you. What can I do to show you that I love you? If you love me, obey my commandments. my commandments you know so then it's yeah. right back to the law and but now fueled by grace not trying to earn his love or earn salvation but rather a response of gratitude for the free salvation we have by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone and and you'll fail inevitably and then you go back to the gospel and then you go back to the law and you go back to the gospel and you go back to the, but this idea that um that the law only functions in its first use initially to get a person to realize they're a senior sinner so that they'll get converted that and 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 then it's just kind of that it's and now we're no longer under law but grace that is um that is such a horrible exegesis of scripture um 
And, yeah. But a lot of guys, like a lot of Christians have believed that. And people, I've just noticed people are coming out of that, like like in yeah. droves right now. Like guys who say, hey, we're, not a, we're no longer under law, we're under grace. Yeah, you're not under, if you're a Christian, you're not under the law in terms of condemnation. That does not mean that the law is no longer God's universal standard for morality in the light um, unto our, 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 uh, of our path and the lamp unto our feet, the direction that we should orient our lives towards. Uh, that's that's not what Paul meant in Galatians when he says we're no longer under law, but under grace. He said we're no lo- longer under law as our final judgment, as our condemnation. We very much are still led by the law as a guide, as a compass. Um, and, and so uh, anybody who's preaching, you're no longer under law, but under grace, we're antinomian. There's no place for the law here except for just to convince people who aren't saved yet that they need Jesus uh, I really think like those churches are going to go the way of the dodo bird and already are like th- people are leaving yeah, those I, churches. I think, I, I think so. And honestly, honestly, I do think, I think you kind of, kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the, a lot of the woke stuff is, is an attempt to sort of fill that void uh, of, 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 of the, the, the law on the back end of the gospel kind of thing, because that's appropriate. That's totally appropriate. Uh, but they didn't want to fill it with God's law. They wanted to fill exactly. it with something else. And so they, that's, that's why a lot of these churches went woke. You know, if you notice a lot of the people that are like the wokest people out there, they're like these gospel centered people that, that before would never, ever preach about the law. And they thought that was, that was, that was not right. In fact, I had a guy tell me to my face, this is like a low level gospel coalition goon told me, um, directly and said, you're never satisfied. You're never satisfied, AD. First, first, you told me that I I never brought up the law. Now I'm bringing up uh, the law, and and you're against it. Mm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because what he was doing was he was he was misquoting the law. You know, he was right. mis. You know, you know, he was he was saying things that, that, that you know you know you know what the woke people do. You know the you know right uh, let uh, justice roll down like waters. You know, and that means mm-hmm. uh, you know so, so, social uh, programs Forgive and student stuff, debt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. You know what I'm talking about. So, so, but so, so I think a lot of the woke stuff was almost like a self conscious move, saying you know we, we right. can't just do this thing where there's no there's no. Uh, uh, discipleship. There's no like, now what? Now what do I do? I'm saved. What do I do now? Like they couldn't just stay there and say, we're, we're gospel centered. Nobody was buying that anymore. So they had to do something. And yep. so churches decided. And I think, I think they, I think a lot of churches made this decision. It's either you go woke or you've rediscovered the law. And a lot of right. these guys are like Christian nationalists now. You're right. That used to be an eight two nine. You know some of right. these guys. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> yep, yep. We talk to them regularly. You and I. Um, yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. It's like, um, like it's the same as the the new Calvinist movement. Um, you know, like the young reformed yeah. and restless. Like you can you can basically everybody who was young reformed and restless. And I was you know I was on I was a little bit too young to be a part of uh, you know, but I was on the back end of that. I was Acts twenty nine for a little bit. All the young reformed and restless guys uh, pretty much split right down the middle, 50-50. Uh, Fifty of them apostatized. And, you know, 50% and then 50% of them went confessionally reformed and are either like 1689 or Westminster, um, you know, and, uh, and more liturgical and regular principle of worship, you know, and, and that, that kind of thing. Um, and, and most of them cessationist and kind of dropped the, you know, the Wayne Grudem, John Piper kind of continuationist Calvinist, uh, new Calvinism thing. Same thing with, uh, gospel centered. Uh, so this is a little bit more than just the, uh, young reformed and restless Acts 29 Driscoll Chandler group. This is like had some older guys like Keller, this is your gospel coalition, you know, nine marks, you know, the gospel centered uh, movement, same thing. Um, uh, they, they pretty much all over the last few years instinctively realized um, w- the gospel is supposed to be um, uh, accompanied with God's law. It's law and gospel, law and gospel, law and gospel. And uh, half of them embraced law, but it was uh, man's law which was um, antithetical to the law of God. Social justice is, it's not that we don't uh, like justice. We don't like social justice because it's unjust. It's not biblical justice. The other half though, at first, I don't think they responded well. Um, Like guys, good guys that that you and I like, and you and I probably were part of this a little bit. Um, Our first kind of line of attack to the wokeness of embracing this law, our first line of attack, because we were so steeped in the gospel-centered, you know, myopticism, our first line of attack was, um, uh, this is the Galatian heresy. This is legalism. You're adding works to the gospel. That should have never been our line of attack. 
Well, it yeah. Should, it, yeah, yeah. We should not have said uh, this is bad because it's um, it's a twisting of the gospel. It's adding works to the gospel of free grace. It's legalism. It's um, uh, no, that 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 shouldn't have been. The, I think we uh, shot ourselves in the foot, and we're recovering now. But I think we could have beat the woke thing um, pro- probably two years faster. I think we could have been done with this two years ago, and now we're coming out of it. Um, but we're coming out of it because we're finally employing the right biblical attack. Instead of saying you're conflating the gospel and adding works to the gospel, because some guys were doing that, saying like if you don't uh, if you don't believe in in reparations and you don't believe the gospel. Okay, well, that's a Galatian heresy. That's adding oh, works sure, to the no question. But but a lot of the woke guys weren't, the, the worst of them were doing that, but a lot of them weren't doing that. They were careful enough to yep. not conflate works with gospel. Yep. Um, and and so then we kept insisting, well, you are, you are inflating works with gospel. You are being a legalist. Um, when they actually weren't, the line of attack we should have used is uh, we should have said, uh, the works that you're adding, you're not conflating with the gospel. You have you have a distinction between gospel and works. The problem is that the works, although distinct from the gospel, are the works of the devil. They're demonic <laughs> they're, works. They're evil works. They're not good <laughs> works. This, you know what I mean. That should have been that should yes. have been our answer. And you're, it took you're dead on. It took us two extra. I, in my assessment, two extra years to like John Harris is on that train now like he he's 100%. like no this he is, wasn't always there though but he wasn't always there you know he wasn't always there and so it you know and it, john, yeah. and we could say that about john he'll watch this and he'll laugh because he's he's a good friend yeah. but like it took him it took me a little you know I, I wasn't quite as much as john but um but anyways it's it, you know it took us a little bit to realize oh wait a second the the biggest problem with this is not a perversion of the gospel uh, a perversion of the gospel is a huge problem, but a lot of guys weren't. A actually lot of them were doing, doing that. You're right, and, and and in fairness, and in fairness to John, a lot of these guys, the worst of them, were definitely doing that. Yes, 100% the worst they were guys doing were that. doing that. That's true. Yeah. So so yeah, there were some dudes out there doing that, but but a lot, but not everyone, and they right. and the ones that weren't doing it were still wrong. <laughs> yeah, the guys who were saying the whole gospel. That they were doing it. They were when you start saying the yeah. whole gospel, and the whole gospel means reparations and and sure. you know and uh, universal income and whatever. Um, and you're saying this is the gospel, um, or that you yeah. can't be saved apart from. Then that is the Galatian yep. heresy, adding works to the gospel yep. of grace. And the worst guys were doing that, and John nailed them on it, and he was he was right, absolutely. But but the minions, their followers, right? So you got a few elite guys who are doing that. Um, but but most of the guys are the followers, and and I would say the majority of guys actually weren't doing that. Um, they they actually were uh, had a, a clear distinction between law and gospel. The problem is that their law wasn't God's law, and it took us a while, I think, to figure that out. So, anyways, all that being said, I think moving forward. Uh, you're absolutely right, though, that like God used in his mercy, he used COVID, he used BLM, he used the whole woke thing from 2017, 18, 19, and then really, you know, climaxing in 2020. Um, I think he used that for, uh, we couldn't beat the wokeness by just uh, saying Galatian heresy, Galatian heresy, because that didn't apply to everybody. So then what we had to do to beat it is we actually had to uh, to go back to the law of God. And And the beauty is that now coming off of this, um, you've got a lot more churches like mine, you know, that, that, um, that preach law and gospel. So that's good. Absolutely. No, I, I think, and, and what's interesting about the, the two things we've brought up so far, it, you can see sort of like, there's going to be a, a dichotomy. There's going to be churches that are solid that survive. And there's going to be some evil churches that survive that are doing these things. Just the, like the bizarro, like antichrist version. Of right. It. Bizarro um, Superman. And they're going to be, and they're going to be the regime churches. They're going to be the churches for, you know, essentially, you know, the people that are on Capitol Hill kind of thing, you know, that, that, kind, that kind of thing. Um, and eventually they'll die out too, but right. that's what's going to happen. Seems but they'll, like. they'll be the bad ones that last the longest. You're absolutely right. And, we, and let's explore that a little bit more. But with the third one now, uh, the third one oh, yeah. that I was thinking of is third characteristic of churches that I think will last for 50 years is uh, churches that feel old. Um, churches that have like some kind of traditional, historic um, you know, um, uh, uh, old, tried and true, trusted, credible, uh, sentiment, you know, that, that I think as, you know, and this gets into like technology, it gets into AI, it gets like, as the world continues to progress and more and more things become digital, as the world becomes more digital, um, and, and becomes, uh, Michael O'Fallon would love this, you know, <laughs> digital currency. And, you know, as the world becomes more digital, uh, digitized and, and there's more 
things that are doctored and tweaked and twisted. I think there's going to be a yearning um, for for what is true. What is true? Yeah. What is true? What is authentic? What is real? What can I trust? And and so on the bad side of things, the bizarre world, you know, uh, upside down world, but churches that that mimic God's design, but in the opposite sense, but they last because they're still mimicking His design. Um, I like that would be the perfect example of that would be like um, like an Episcopalian church where you know yeah. you're walking in with like like a 400 year old Bible, you know, being carried, and there's like three altar boys with you know lit candles walking yep. behind the priest and. And there's thrones up on the stage and stained glass and chandeliers hanging. And it's glorious. It's this cathedral. It I mean, all it's looks beautiful. Legit. Yeah. looks legit. And then the guy gives a 15-minute homily on why uh, <laughs> Paul, you know, when he cast out the demon of the slave girl, uh, he was wrong to do that, you know, and uh, whatever. You know, and, and the dude is, you know, and the priest is actually gay and ha- his boyfriend is sitting on the front row. And I say that like as some um, random, you know, illustration, but I actually, <laughs> actually knew a priest like that when I was pastoring in California. Real. Yeah. yeah. When I was pastoring in California, we met at an Episcopalian church in the evening and the priest was gay and, um, and his boyfriend would sit on the front row. And I remember going to one of the services and it was a 15 minute homily where he said the, the apostle Paul was wrong for these reasons um, in this particular text. So anyways, all that being said, but the, the aesthetic looked trustworthy. It looked, you know, and so when you're, when you're sitting on YouTube all day, you know, and, and, and watching TikTok and, and your work is, um, is, is in an office bunker underground where you don't see the light of day, you know, no sunlight and it's everything is on the computer and, and AI and virtual reality and all this kind of stuff as in, in, in it's progressing. And then you can go to the sun gloriously cascading through a stained glass window of a church that's 300 years old, the building. And there's these, uh, old rituals that they've been doing for, you know, for centuries, um, even though the actual content of what's being preached is antithetical to the Bible, the veneer feels legit. It feels legitimate, and uh, and and it'll that'll be take longer to to come down. What do you think? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's I think that's interesting. I also think um, even besides just the aesthetic of the actual f- physical building and stuff like that, um, the the liturgy like actually is going to make a big difference yes. too. Like. If you have a solid, you know, you know, s- somewhat ancient liturgy, you know, where you do things like, you know, y- you sling the Gloria Patri or you do catechisms, questions or, you know, th- I don't know what, what people are doing. But what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is like as, as the world gets, at least it seems to get more chaotic, you know, at least what you see online, you know, what you see on TV and what they what they push, what they push is more chaotic anyway. Um I think that people are going to be attracted to having a Sunday uh, Lord's Day that is predictable, that is beautiful, that is uh, constant, that has the feel of constants. You know, it's like it's just this is what we've been doing for a long time. You know, people have been singing, you know, the Glory Patri for hundreds of years. People have been singing, you know, um, doxology. Uh, doxology for however long. You know, I don't even know when these songs were invented, but I'm just saying like. I think people are going to be attracted to that as things get more and more chaotic, especially online, because a lot of the things that ha- are happening online with AI and this whole idea of like trying to get people to, to plug into this metaverse thing. I don't know if that's ever going to work, but th- it's something they're trying. You know, all this digitization of everything, it's 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 a way to introduce all kinds of chaos. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just it's just a crazy Anyway, um, yeah, I think you're so. I think right. people are going to be attracted to that kind of thing. They're they're not going to want to to go to the 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 church where like anything can happen and it's like there's like there's like uh, skits and and concerts right. and stuff because that's just like everything else that they know. Yep. You know what I mean? And the world always does it better, you know. And so yeah, um, yeah, I yeah, because it's just a spectacle for spectacle's sake. It's not really like for anything. It's just right. So you're you're copying the spectacle in a place where it's inappropriate there's no way you're going to do that right right yep so i think liturgy and like that kind of feeling of of a connection to the past is going to be important you know what i mean i think and, and actually a lot of the things that are happening right now they're trying to disconnect you from the past they're trying to disconnect you from your ancestors they're tearing down the stats statues of your ancestors they're renaming buildings or renaming you know bridges you know all this stuff 
And that all is intentionally disconnecting you from your history. And right. I think that there's going to be pushback there for sure. Yep. I agree. So as a recap, the three things, you know, one is guys who uh, believe engaging the culture, the world, politics, society matters, and that you could actually experience success. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, necessitate that you're post-millennial and your eschatology. But uh, if you think Jesus is coming back in 20,000 years or in 20 years, um, the post-millennial believes the trajectory overall is up, but there are dips along the way. The Disby pre-mill guy, you know, on the opposite, you know, of the spectrum of eschatology, he believes the tra trajectory is down overall, but even he believes there could be spikes along the way. And so anybody who believes um, that that uh, even from a Disby pre-mill standpoint, anybody, regardless of eschatology, if they believe that engaging the culture matters, that pietism be damned, uh, engaging the culture matters, and that it could actually uh, be successful. Uh, that our engagement, uh, it matters because it actually, by God's grace, could make a difference. I think that's going to be um, a big factor. The second one, law and gospel, not just uh, Jesus was Jesus so that you don't have to be Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Let's go home. Um, but but uh, no, here's the law. Here's how you're a sinner. Here's Jesus. This is how he fulfilled it. In light of his free gift of grace for you, fulfilling the law in your place, you now love him as a response. And those who love him will obey him and he has commandments and here they are. And, and so in gratitude, not trying to earn his salvation, but in response of gratitude for his salvation, we're seeking to obey in order to demonstrate our love. We show our love to Christ through obedience. If you love me, you will obey me. So preaching law and gospel, particularly the third use of the law, not just the first that reveals that you need the gospel, but then the third use of the law as a response to the gospel. And then the third uh, third thing is, um, is uh, churches that have some kind of history, some kind of tradition. Um, I, th I think confessional churches will do um, particularly well. Um, I, I don't think I think the building, the cathedral, if you got it, great. Praise God for that. Um, but I think uh, if you're meeting in a barn, you know, like a Western hoedown, you know, country line, line dancing place where, where I'm currently meeting in Wahlberg, Texas, uh, with, you know, cows around and stuff like that. Um, but having like a robust liturgical worship service, which we yeah. have, it's simple church in terms of the aesthetics. Um, I think aesthetics matter, I, angels in the architecture, I'm down for that, but it's just what we have right now in the providence of God and we're, and we're grateful for what we have. But even if it's simple church in terms of the building, you can still have robust, historic, rooted, grounded church um, in terms of just um, your, your liturgy and your worship, your order of worship and the way that you preach and those kinds of things. And I think that uh, with, with technological advances and people constantly pulling the wool over you, institutions constant everybody's lying to you all the time people are lying to you um so to have something that feels rooted and timeless and, and tried and tested and true uh will go a long way so i think those are the three things that i 100%. thought of any any final thoughts on that or final word i think all of these things you know when you when you think about it all together i think people are going to be looking and they're already doing this looking for like a, an authenticity to, to everything. You know what I mean? Like I, I know lots of people still go to mega churches. I don't think that that th kind of thing is going to survive I don't uh, into the future. And one of the big reasons is because it's very difficult to do the community thing or even to, 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 to be quite honest, like it's very difficult to, to, um, to, to, to even like really pastor people or even like to even do the basic stuff. Right in that context. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very difficult. Um, and so, um, and, and I think that a lot of, I think automatically some of the uh, kind of like traditional feel of church goes out the window when you have 10,000 people right. in your church, you know, and video screens everywhere like a stadium. So anyway, um, all that to say is that I think people are going to, the, the, the stuff on, look, internet is part of real life. I'm not going to say this, do the thing where it's like internet's not real life, but, with AI content creators and, you know, all kinds of lying content creators, there's like a, there's one, there's one co common uh, carnivore diet co content creator that presents oh, themselves King? as a man, but it's actually a woman. Oh, oh um, okay. okay. And anyway, whatever, like the, po the point is like, there's all kinds of lying going on and deceptions and things like that. People are going to, uh, I think, rebel against that to some degree. And they're going to, they're still going to consume online content, of course, but 
the voices that are too easily manipulated by or, or copied by AI. Like, you know, if I type in AI uh, right now, chat GPT, you know, give me an article about uh, the latest event, you know, in the style of Gospel Coalition, it will be identical to what you'll find from Gospel Coalition. That, right. That's going to go the way of the dodo. Nobody's going to want that anymore. Right. They're going to want, you know, m- more authentic style online content. But I think they're also going to want just in real life people, real life right. people that they could hang out with, that they could grab a beer with if you're Presbyterian, if you're, you know, if you're Baptist, maybe grab a grape juice I, or something I, like that. We have wine for the Lord's Supper because we're biblical and I drink <laughs> beer. And you know this, AD, we have drank beer together. I do know this. Okay, so. <laughs> That's why I said it. But I'm one of the minorities. I, I admit that. I admit. <laughs> anyway, but my point is like, they, they're going to want to have people that, um, that, you know, it's they're they're serious about the Lord, um, but there's there's as little pretense as possible. I think sometimes you know and I'm not saying this is true of every megachurch. I've never been to every megachurch, but when I go to megachurches, you know you've got the, the the greeting team and you've got this, and right. everything seems very contrived. Now every church usually has that. They'll have someone that goes up to new people, and and but when it's in a smaller context, it just does not feel the same. You, you know what I mean? Right. It does not feel the same. I, if you've ever visited a smaller church where you kind of had the idea that, oh, this is the guy that they send to new folks to talk to them. Like it just, it's different. It's different right. from a mega church to a smaller church. Right. Anyway, I, I, I think all this stuff is all about human connections and like authentic connections because what we get online and what they're trying to push on us is all inauthentic. Mm-hmm. I mean, even down to like the sexuality, like they're trying to push transsexuals. That's inauthentic, yeah. obviously. Uh, to say the, the best about it, right. it's inauthentic. Right. Yep. I think right. that that's yeah. the common denominator with all the things you just said, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. You're absolutely right. I think um, one thing on the mega churches, I was just thinking, you know, mega churches really became a thing in the Bible Belt and Southern California would be an, another uh, hot spot. But mega churches became like the church growth movement, Bill Hybels, you know, like large, like, I mean, technically, you know, like Charles Spurgeon, you could argue that he had a mega church, the, you know, the London uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle. Like, um, so, so there have been some big churches. I, I think the church of Antioch was probably pretty big, the church in Jerusalem. So like, I'm not, you know, neither you or I are philosophically inherently against mega churches, but in terms of mega churches being, a, being so common, a dime a dozen, that's relatively new, um, a new sure. phenomenon uh, that you can track back to pretty much the eighties and nineties. However, what I was going to say is that um, one thing that's radically changed uh, is, uh, is the internet. Um, and that, uh, that a lot of reason why the mega church appealed to people is because they wanted to be able to, um, to slip in and slip out and have an experience without the community. They didn't go to a mega church because they wanted a community with 10,000 people. You go to a context of 10,000 people because you don't want community because you're just yeah. a number that you yeah. can, um, you, you can't go, you can't go to a church of 75 people and show up 15 minutes late and not be noticed for being late. You know what I mean? Like, like you're, yeah. you better be on time. And you also, if things are uncomfortable or you don't like it or you're bored or whatever, like you can't, uh, you can't slip out without it being kind of. Well, I, I'll tell you, this is, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is so, this is, and it's not from, it's not typically, well, maybe it could be from a place of judgment, but I'll tell you right. One time, uh, recently I was, uh, I have a new church. I don't know if I, if I told everyone in the audience this oh, yet, you but didn't I, tell me this. you know, just a, a church, a local church just in my town. So I was driving an hour. It was a great church, but it was an hour away, you know? So anyway, so I, uh, we just started going to this church and my, uh, my family was out of town. I f- even forget where they were doing, uh, but I was all alone. And so I went to church that day and um, I just started feeling really ill, you know, in the middle of the service. And so I just, <laughs> I skedaddled, right? And I'll never forget it. Like I got a text after yep. church was over from my, from my buddy. It's like, dude, I saw you leave. Are you all right? Yep, and it wasn't exactly. from a place of judgment. It's like, is everything okay right. kind of thing? Mm-hmm. He saw me because there's only like right. 50 people at that church. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So my point is like pairing that with the internet, when when the mega church movement, church growth movement, Bill Hybels, that kind of thing, Saddleback, you know, like when that w- really was becoming a thing um, and praise God, Saddleback, you know, was just voted out of the SBC. And so that, you know, that's hopeful. There's a lot Such more. Such a work, white pill, you know, man. That's but, great yeah, news. That, but it's great news. Let's, let's take it and, and celebrate the Lord. Um, but with that... Um, you know, when, when that was becoming a thing, the mega church, church growth movement thing was really lifting off. Um, you, you did not like, yeah, sure. Like maybe you, you, the internet was a little bit after that coming on the scene, but it wasn't like it is now. 
it was not um podcasting was not a thing youtube was not a thing um and and all those things are getting better they're all youtube's getting better you know streaming services are getting better twitter you can do twitter spaces now and and all these and so my point is if that's all somebody wants is just an experience like to um and and typically the person who goes to a mega church wants the um the uh, the invisible experience, the the unnoticed, slipping in unnoticed experience. My point is that um, the type of person who goes to a mega church, uh, I'm not saying they're going to leave a mega church and find a small church. I'm saying they're just not going to go to church at all. I think That's right. that over the next few years, that person, they're just going to listen to uh, to YouTube, right? They're just going to watch YouTube. They're going to listen to podcasts. They're going to, you know, uh, be following the really day. there's no difference Ex- there's no difference that's my point from their perspective Ex- exactly yeah. exactly and so my point is that i think now like the internet and all these spaces these little virtual communities pseudo communities online have become so uh, dialed in and 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 have improved so much in terms of content experience uh being able in the chats and stuff like that to engage with people and talk as you're listening and all that like uh, why, why get out of bed? You know? And so I think that, uh, the only, you know, the mega church is, is gonna, um, I think it's going to become extinct. I, I really do. I think that the only thing that's going to, um, endure is, uh, when I'm thinking I got to get out of bed, well, for me, I won't use me as an example, because for me, it's, I need to worship the Lord. I need to lead my wife and children. I also need a paycheck. It's my job, you know, so. It's a little different for you. My situation is a little bit, but the person, the average person who's a member at Covenant Bible Church, the church that I pastor in Central Texas, when they show up, um, they're they're showing up because they're thinking um, it's the Lord's day um, and, uh, and I need to take the supper. I need to eat the bread. I need to drink the wine. I need to sing and address one another, not just God that I can do privately while listening to worship CD or CDs aren't even a thing anymore. Worship, whatever, um, you know, but like a song on, on Alexa, you know, whatever at home. Um, but no, I, I'm commanded to address one another, uh, the saints with Psalms, hymns and spiritual. So I need to sing to people. I need to eat bread, drink wine, um, renew. It's a covenantal renewal uh, ceremony. I need to renew the covenant. I've broken the covenant this last week. Renew the covenant with the Lord. Uh, remember my baptism. Um, I and I need uh, my kids and my wife to be washed in the Word to be physically present there. Um, I you know those those and I need to uh, check up on these people that I love and that I know and shake that. I need to touch them and shake their hand and ask them how are you doing and go to lunch with them and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think like that's, that will never get replaced. Me- the metaverse cannot yeah. replace, there's no substitute for that. That will never go anywhere. That's Jesus model. And it, and it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that's going nowhere. Uh, but you look at the average mega church, seeker sensitive kind of church experience. And I'm looking at that. And then I'm looking at, you know, Twitter spaces and I'm looking at Jordan Peterson lectures with the daily wire. And I'm thinking, uh, mega church is, uh, <laughs> it has a, it has a short expiration date. That thing ain't, ain't going to last much longer. So. Yeah. This has been interesting though. I honestly, I haven't really considered, uh, too much about what, uh, what kinds of churches will actually make it. Um, you know, they're going to make it, you know, then right. this is interesting. I think, I think there's some, some good stuff here. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, AD and, uh, let our listeners know how they can follow you. Yeah. Like I said, uh, YouTube, uh, fight, laugh, feast. You could just type in my name, A.D. Robles, and uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at A.D. Robles Media, um, and also Gab, same same handle there. Cool. All right. Hey, the church that you found, did you find a Presbyterian church? No, unfortunately. It's Baptist again? <laughs> it's Baptist again, yeah. That's hilarious. Well, there was a Presbyte- there's a Presbyterian church pretty close that we were going to go to, but they uh, they went super crazy COVID Nazi and a little bit woke, so right. not going not gonna to fly. Yeah, well, we've, we've got plenty of Presbyterians in our church because some of them yeah. went woke, but, but a couple of them didn't go woke, they, um, but they, they so overreacted to COVID you know that um, yeah that, that's a big yeah. thing in presbyterian circles the covid it really overreaction. is man like yeah this was this got so bad that they weren't even singing they they didn't even sing they said well you just got to hum to yourself because you don't want to get the aspirate you know exactly that's exactly that's, what, we're not doing that what this church in town that they, they you know they're opc they're, they're not woke but uh yeah same thing they they bifurcated that they, they had went to two services intentionally not because they had so many people but they had a uh, a mask required service and then a mask optional service 
but um but uh. then you know the the mask service there was uh, no singing allowed in that service and and so you know and so people just saw that you know and and it's you know and and i'm talking like it's 2021 now we're getting closer to 2022 and that's still going on and so uh people are like all right well yeah joel's not going to baptize our infants and so we got to figure that out you know we'll we'll get them baptized in the middle of the night by some presbyterian minister but we're going to go to a church that <laughs> we're going to go to yeah. a church that has some some faith and and some spine yeah so Hundred percent, yeah. But it's but it's a it's a solid little church, and uh, I'm pretty excited to have a uh, a five minute drive, and I can actually hang out with people. In fact, we did last Sunday. We hung out with people after church because awesome. we didn't have an hour drive back home. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. How long did you go to the other church? The one that was an hour away. How long were you there? Yeah, for like four or five years. Oh, okay. I, I I've been telling them that I'm leaving to to go closer to home. For like three years, <laughs> but they were they were probably still really sad when you finally pulled the trigger. Yes, they definitely were, um, and they didn't believe me because I'd just been saying it for three years, right. you know. Right. Um, but finally, we did it, and uh, I had a chance to preach there one last time. And I'm sure cool. we'll be back up for like you know picnics or things like right. that because they're a solid group of people. It it was it was a really kind of a bittersweet thing for us to be honest, but yeah. you know had to happen. Well, enjoy this church for, you know, six months or so until you move down here and uh, join to Covenant Texas, Bible yeah. Church. <laughs> well, God All bless, right, man. man. All right, later. Take care.